And today, we've whipped up some of our favorite facts about the Incas. Here is your brush up. Today, we will cover three main parts. First, we'll talk about the rise of the Inca civilization. Then, we will discuss the Inca Empire at its peak. And finally, we'll talk about the fall of the Inca Empire. So, in Western South America, the first traces of hunter-gatherer settlements date back to around 4,500 before Christ, near modern-day Cusco, that is located in what is today Peru. But the Inca civilization only started to arise in the 12th century. Before that, various other civilizations coexisted in the region. Actually, if you know about the famous Nazca Lines, they are thought to have been created by a pre-Inca civilization, anywhere from 500 before Christ to 500 AD. It's thought to maybe have been a form of ritual for the gods, but it's still unclear. So, if you haven't seen them, check out these massive drawings carved from Earth. When I saw it, I was surprised. So, the Inca civilization arose from populations that were indigenous to South America. But, if you want a more romanticized version of their story, the Incas actually had several myths about the foundation of their civilization. The most famous one is related to their god of the sun, called Inti. Inti supposedly raised from Lake Titicaca, and seeing the empty sky, he created the god of the moon. Together, the sun and the moon then created humans. Eventually, Inti sent his son Manco Capac and his daughter Mama Oclo to Earth to help the humans as leaders. These two were considered the first Incas who settled in a valley near Cusco to start the civilization. A pretty romantic and trustworthy story. Very historically accurate, for sure. The Incas started to slowly expand their territory in the mid-14th century, led by the fourth leader, Maita Capac. They were still mostly concentrated around modern-day Cusco. Then, they expanded a little more significantly in the early 15th century, led by the eighth leader, Viracocha Inca. He helped take over the Urubamba Valley, also referred to as the Sacred Valley. At this point, the civilization was still pretty concentrated around Cusco. It was the next leader, Viracocha Inca's son, who was the first significant leader and actually the first emperor of the Inca people. In 1438, a rival population called the Chancas attacked Cusco. At that point, Viracocha retreated, but his son, Cusi Inca Yupanqui, protected Cusco and defeated the enemy. He then took on the name of Pachacuti, which means reverser of the world. Pachacuti transformed the kingdom of Cusco into the Inca Empire and unified the territory. Since then, the emperor became the absolute ruler, also called Sapa Inca. So, Pachacuti led significant efforts to grow the empire. He expanded south to the end of Lake Titicaca by defeating the Lupaca and Cola tribes, and a little bit north above Lima, taking over other kingdoms. When conquering territories, the Incas left soldiers in the newly acquired areas to ensure stability. If you thought Pachacuti was cool, wait till you hear about the next emperor, Inca Yupanqui in 1471, expanded the empire most of all by whopping 4,000 kilometers, or 2,500 miles. Maybe he was an inspiration for Simón Bolívar when he started this idea of La Gran Colombia. Maybe so. And if you want to learn more about that, you should go listen to our episode about Gran Colombia. After Judy's favorite emperor, Inca Yupanqui, came the 11th Inca leader and the 3rd Inca emperor, Yoaina Capac 
who expanded the territory slightly north up to the border between modern-day Ecuador and Colombia. Actually, he was the last emperor before the arrival of the Spanish to the region. To kind of sum up the strength of this empire, it spanned from the south of Colombia to well into Chile and partway into Argentina, covering six countries in total. Ecuador, Peru, northern Chile, part of Bolivia, northern Argentina, and southern Colombia. Now, let's dive into the Inca Empire at its peak. Within their vast territory, about 40,000 Incas governed around 10 million inhabitants from 100 different ethnic groups speaking over 30 different languages. So how did it all work? As we mentioned, at the top of the empire was an absolute ruler. However, under the ruler were various groups of nobles, and most of them were located in Cusco. A fun fact is that those who actually spoke the Inca language, which was Quechua, were given a privileged status. However, there was no actual written language. So to keep track of numbers and any records that they needed to, the locals used a tool that they called kipu, which is basically a group of a bunch of strings with many different knots. And the types, the positions, the size, the color, etc. of all these knots is how they kept the records. This system could keep track of decimals up to 10,000. Try to beat that, Apple. I think they did. Under the nobles at the local level, administrators called Curaca looked over groups of households called Ayu. All of these administrators reported up to four governors, who then reported to the Inca ruler in Cusco. And there is a reason why they have four governors. The Incas themselves actually called their empire Tahuantinsuyo, meaning land of the four quarters, because the land was divided into these four main regions. And on top of all these four regions, Cusco was the administrative and religious center of the empire, with about 150,000 people living in there. Besides this strong kind of political administrative structure, a reason that the Incas expanded their territory so fast was related to what we call the cult of ancestors, essentially worshiping or having rituals related to the dead. Actually, when one of their rulers died, his son inherited the power that he had, but nothing he actually physically possessed. The land that had belonged to the deceased emperor, along with all the servants, was kept around for the sole presence of taking care of his mummy and worshipping him. And check this out. If you thought that the Egyptians were the only ones mummifying their leaders, you were actually incorrect. Inca rulers were mummified upon their death and continued to be worshipped. During a special celebrations, they were brought out, given offerings, dressed in gold, and consulted about the state decisions. I bet they were the best kind of advisors. Always silently agreeing with you. So when one of the emperors came into power, they had nothing to their name, except their power. So their only option was to expand their territory to create an income for themselves and grow their own following a tradition established by the first emperor, Pachacuti. So you might be wondering, how did the Incas keep all the territory unified and under control? Well, for one, they used force. Yes, the heirs of local rulers were actually kept as prisoners in Cusco to avoid any rebellions. Additionally, they also implemented an empire-wide tax system. So what does this mean? People pay taxes in food, precious materials, textiles, or even by giving up people as slaves. See, more force. For example, groups of households had to produce crops for the gods, for the rulers, and the rest for themselves. So you could see how this was actually quite unfair. They were actually quite advanced agriculturally. 
They developed the terrace farming technique that you may have seen. It's basically building steps of land on the sides of mountains to kind of maximize the space they could use for their crops. And they also installed pipes in this land as a sort of irrigation system. Another way that they kept themselves unified is that the entire empire was also physically well-connected. They had a road system spanning around 15,000 miles, or 24,000 kilometers, that people used by foot or by llama with resting stations along the way. Yeah, they didn't have any sort of transportation with wheels at the time. So they used llamas. <laughs> One really fun fact is that they established a system to get messages across the empire quickly. But as I just mentioned, they didn't have any vehicles. So they had professional runners called jeskis who would run up to 240 kilometers in one day from one settlement to another and pass a message to the next runner, kind of like a relay. As a result, messages could travel 1,200 miles from Cusco to Quito in under a week. Just to clarify, this is the equivalent of five and a half marathons. So as a conclusion, what is better than a llama? An Inca. One person we haven't mentioned yet, and probably the second most important person after the emperor, was the priest of the sun. He was the leader of priests and priestesses across the empire, who practiced divination to help with illness, crime, war tactics, and more. Actually, the most important folks in the empire, who were often these priests, wore sort of ear spools of different sizes to indicate their status. So when the Spanish arrived, they saw this and described those people as orejones, which literally means big ears. Jokes aside, the Incas were polytheistic and believed in multiple gods, such as Inti, the god of sun, Viracocha, the creator god, Apuilapu, the god of rain and thunder, and Mamakilia, the moon goddess. The ceremonies that they had to worship these gods would often involve animal sacrifices and even sometimes human sacrifices. Interestingly enough, the Incas had a concept of heaven and hell even before Christianity came to South America with the Spanish conquistadores. Their golden rule was Amasua Amalula Amachela. That means do not steal, do not lie, do not be lazy. And if you lived by them, it would grant you a place in the land of the sun, as opposed to being left alone in a dark underworld upon death. Along with worshipping the dead emperors, Incas built elaborate shrines to worship the gods and make offerings to them. One such temple was the huge sun temple in Cusco, called Coricacha. Another sacred area in the territory was Lake Titicaca, where there were two important shrines on different islands. The emperors themselves would actually travel there often to go worship the gods. And as you can deduct by their many shrines, the Incas were very skilled masons. They used a unique building technique. They carved stones into specific shapes so that they did not need mortar. Basically what you need to connect bricks together, kind of like concrete. And apparently, the stones are stacked so tightly together that you cannot even pass a knife between them. In fact, this unique construction technique was found across the whole empire and is one of the elements that helped historians identify that the Incas controlled such a vast territory. And one of the famous sites that you probably have heard of where this architecture is visible is Machu Picchu. Some of the boulders that were used there weighed over 100 tons. 
So it's believed that to accomplish these structures, they had to have around 20 men working on a single stone before putting the structure together. And interesting enough, they also used this construction technique to build the storage warehouses to keep food for long periods of time. But you might be wondering, what is it so impressive about building warehouses? Well, they were one of the first civilizations in the region to store food in preparation for periods of drought. They also built the storage buildings into the sides of hills, keeping the food cold. These storage units were even equipped with a drainage system to keep moisture out. So I guess we can conclude they created the first massive refrigerators. And in case you weren't impressed enough, these structures were built at some of the highest altitudes ever recorded. How did the llamas even get there? Go hike Machu Picchu to find out. Now, let's discuss the fall of the Inca Empire. The Inca civilization was the most powerful, large, and rich civilization on the continent, but it was also a short-lived civilization. In 1532, the Spanish explorer and conquistador Francisco Pizarro arrived in Peru. When the explorers arrived, they saw two things. The Incas were rich in precious metals, and they also saw that the people were divided and fed up by the Inca leaders. Despite the efforts to unite the empire, many populations under the Inca empire disliked the rulers who used force to impose their dominance over their culture and territories. Rebellions were pretty common and internal division was really growing. There was even a second Inca capital that had been established in Quito, in modern-day Ecuador, leading to an ongoing conflict in the region. The Incas actually faced the most resistance in Ecuador, where communities were smaller, less unified culturally, and had predetermined alliances that differ a lot from communities in the Andes. Even today, many Quechua communities in modern-day Ecuador reject their Inca heritage, since they are not really descendants from that civilization, per se. Going back to the Spanish arrival, the explorers brought diseases like smallpox and influenza with them when they arrived, killing over 50% of the Inca population. In 1525, the emperor at the time, Huayna Capa, and his successor both died from disease. As a result, because of the tensions and their death, a civil war broke out, pitting Atahualpa and his half-brother, Huascar, against each other, fighting for the throne. Atahualpa eventually won in 1532 and became the new Zapa Inca. In the same year, Pizarro asked Atahualpa over for dinner under the pretense of celebrating him as the new emperor. Instead, he kidnapped him and executed him shortly after. The next year, with a weakened empire and superior weaponry, the Spanish were able to take control of Cusco. They placed a young man named Manco as the new head of the empire, thinking that he was going to lead as he was told and cooperate with the Spanish. However, he soon led a rebellion that was quickly stopped by the Spanish, but as a result, Manco had to retreat to a village called Vilcabamba, where the last of the Inca empire resisted for 36 more years. In the end, though, in 1572, the Spanish captured Manco's son Tupac Amaru, who was now in power, and killed him. The Inca Emperor was then defeated. And unfortunately, with this defeat came the destruction of many Inca structures. Because there was no written record of the Inca civilization before the Spanish arrived, most of the myths and cultural traditions were passed down by storytellers. What we know about the Inca civilization is mostly what got written down by the Spanish and archaeological studies. The Incas left a strong legacy in the region, 
Today, about 8 million people in South America still speak Quechua. In 1975, Peru recognized Quechua as an official language. In 2006, Ecuador gave Quechua an official status, and in 2009, Bolivia did the same. So, to sum up our brush up, the Inca civilization arose around the 12th century and expanded rapidly in the 15th century when it became an empire under Pachacuti. At its peak, the Inca Empire extended from the south of Colombia to halfway down Chile. The Incas were led by emperors called Sapa Inca, but priests also play an important role in their culture. They were polytheistic and worshipped multiple gods through offerings and by building elaborate temples with unique masonry techniques. The Incas kept their vast territory connected by a long system of roads. Eventually, though, in 1532, the Spanish arrived in the region. The diseases that they brought with them killed over 50% of the Inca population. And in the end, capitalizing on internal turmoil, the Spanish defeated the remaining leaders and took control of the Inca territory in 1572. That's all that we got for today. We hope you enjoyed this history brush up. We started this podcast to make history more fun and accessible. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and giving us a positive rating. We'll catch you in the next episode. In the meantime, share your new knowledge with some friends, or even better, share this podcast with them. We love the support. 